Well, good morning and welcome to Southfield. We're glad you're here with us this morning. If you would, come on in and find a seat as we get started with our announcements for this morning. As you can notice, there is no compadre of mine up here this morning. It's because he and my mom are down in Texas helping my brother move into his new place, um, which I don't know what I would have done without the help of my parents every time that, it, that I had to move. Uh, I had to move in and out of places over and over and over again, and they are, they are expert packers. My dad uh, is a workhorse. I mean, the dude is truly a Hungarian machine, and my mom might be the best Tetris player that I've ever seen. She can make everything fit into the back of a little Mazda 3. Uh, so, so they are down there this morning, and without fail, though, my dad still managed to make sure that he caught me off guard. You see, usually he's up here to catch me off guard with a question, and you, first service, get the benefit of watching me sweat and break down in tears and deal with that. Instead, today, he sent out the update yesterday morning, and when I opened it, I saw that there were 37,000 announcements. So I know that I'm going to forget one, and I'm going to get a text as soon as this service ends from the guy watching through that little screen. Hey, you forgot one. So I know. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have my phone with me to aid this process. So I'm not like checking Instagram or anything. Even though if you are checking Instagram today, you're going to see Justin Timberlake everywhere because it's going to be me. All right. <clears throat> First off, our wristbands are in. The Romans Road wristband crew put together all of our packs yesterday. Uh, they were over at the Yost. And so all the wristbands are here. If you signed up for that and paid for it, your wristbands are here. There's still time to sign up for this if you'd like to do it, but you can't collect your wristbands today. We'll have to order more and put those packs together. The way this works, again, is we work through the story of the gospel in Romans, starting in Romans chapter 3. Now, on these wristbands is the first letter of the word in the verse. So what we're encouraging you to do is to memorize each one of these verses, six in all, and you are as you are working on it, we want you to wear that one. Once you have one down, I've been told that you are to move on to the next one. There's no month-by-month month schedule, apparently. So you're not, we're not memorizing one in May, and then one in June, and one in July. You can go at your own pace, but only wear the ones that you either have down or that you are currently working on. Again, really exciting, cool opportunity to, to share the gospel in a very, very unique way. It's really exciting. Quest. Quest registration is blowing up. We have 150 students signed up, which is just unbelievable. Yeah, give it up, because that is phenomenal. And ultimately, that's on you. That's on you for, for inviting and, and getting the word out. So we really appreciate your help in that. And we hope that you can continue. Tell those neighbors, tell, the, tell teachers, tell everybody that Quest is happening in that last week of June, because we want our, our kindergartners and sixth graders coming from um, or Kinder is going at first, um, going, going to camp that last week of June. It's going to be really, really exciting. We have a lot of next steps happening around here. There's many different opportunities to get involved here at Southfield, and there are also different opportunities that we have for you in terms of um, next steps following the Rooted experience. We know that a lot of people, when Rooted got done, you're looking for something, you're craving something, and we've kind of... We've, suggested, here's where you can go, here are the groups you can join. If your group is still going, that's great. But I am, 
I was not told to do this, but I have found two because I needed something for myself. One is a book that I already had, and one is a book that I uh, found just this past week. It actually just showed up a couple days ago, so I haven't started it. But I did flip through, and it looks uh, really great. The first is a daily devotional um, by Oswald Chambers. It's called My Utmost for His, uh, for His Highest. And if you want to be challenged, I mean, this... This is very simply, one, there's one for each day of the year. It's very short, but Oswald Chambers is a genius. So sometimes you'll read these three paragraphs and be like, what? And you'll actually, it'll spurn you to go do some extra research or do some extra uh, reading with it. It has a daily verse that you can go through and it gives um, an explanation of how that can be applied to your life. So my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers, I recommend it. And the other one that, as I said, I haven't technically started yet, um, is by Louis Giglio. This one's called At the Table with Jesus. It's 66 daily devotionals. And the nice thing about this one is that there is no set May 1st, you read this. No, there's just 66 days. So if you want to do one a day for 66 days, you can do that. If you want to break it down and do one every other day, as is your rhythm, that's cool too. It gives a, a verse, it gives a devotional, and then it asks two questions every day. And I can tell you from flipping through and looking at some of these, it, the first one is, generally speaking, like a, a fact-based question. So let's make sure we actually locked in what we read. And the second is more of that rooted application-based question. Some of them are very challenging, and I'm very nervous to begin this. Uh, but <clears throat> at the table with Jesus, Louis Giglio, if you'd like to continue in that, uh, that rooted, rhythmic, devotional-style reading, those are two great options uh, for you. And they're both available on, on Amazon. <clears throat> Um, another next step is baptism. If during the rooted experience or before you have come into a, a place in your life where you have accepted the Lord as your, as your Savior and as the leader of your life, we want you to declare that. We don't want you to keep that to yourself. The Bible tells us we shouldn't keep it to ourselves. Now, baptism is not a requirement to enter the gates of heaven, but it is something that Jesus himself did. And if we were to follow in his example, we should be getting baptized to let people know that we are in the family of God and that we are intending to be held accountable to that life. So we have three different baptism opportunities. One at the very end of this month, the Memorial Day service, May 29th, we'll have um, outdoors, and there will be a baptism following that service. July 3rd, that Sunday, we'll have an outdoor service as well, with baptisms following. And finally, the Labor Day service, September 4th, will also be an outdoor service followed by baptisms. If you are interested in getting baptized at any one of those dates, I'd suggest the Labor Day one because it's warm. Um, not that 4th of July won't be warm, and not that we won't warm up the water for you people going in May, um, but, but great option there. If you're interested in that, go into the update today, go down to the link, and, and just let us know that you're interested uh, so that we can reach out to you and get that all set up. Another next step is getting your hands dirty. We have many islands out here in the parking lot, and we just know that through, through Green Lake, working and working alongside people is something that, that can grow you and change you and morph you. Um, and so we, we would love if you or you and a friend, you and your small group, you and your family would adopt one of those islands. Basically, all that means is you have to go through once a week, check for the weeds, pull the weeds. Uh, if you have a question about what is a weed, as I would, you can ask. Um, but just keep the island clean, keep it fresh and looking nice so that throughout the summer, um, 
we don't start looking like a, a jungle zoo. So if you'd like to get involved in that way, uh, you can also go to the update today and click to let us know that you are in, in interest of adopting an island. There's also the Route 6 Adopt a Highway cleanup team. Same thing in the links right below the island teams. You can express interest there. We do have a couple of um, groups that are going right now. One's just starting up again, and that's volleyball on Friday nights. If you'd like to get involved in that, you can go ahead to our website and uh, let us know that you're going to be there. It's really helpful when you sign up for a group so that we know exactly um, who's going to be there, how to reach out to you, things like that, so that we don't just kind of hope and pray that people are going to show. Um, and also you can see who's involved in that group. So go ahead to the website, go to groups, sign up for volleyball. That's going to be a lot of fun. And there's also a Don's shooting crew that's um, down in, um, in Diamond, and they meet on Thursday nights. So if you're interested in doing that for the, the I believe, the last time here in the spring, you can go ahead and sign up for that. Um, so lots of things, lots of things to sign up for. One thing that you don't have to sign up for is an opportunity that you will have right after the service. Over here on this side, if you are looking to have your, your face and your family's faces known by, the Southfield, uh, by our Southfield family, we'd love it if you would step out. I, I get these all confused. We were just talking about it. We have step in, step out, and step up. And I just did it out of order, okay? But if you would, after the service up here, we'll have the opportunity for you to step out. We'll have an iPad where we'll take your picture and we're not disseminating this. You know, we're not putting this out on the internet and saying, look, this person got a booger hanging from their nose. No, um, it's, it's not anything like that. We just know that names and faces are valuable. So we want to, know, we want to make sure that our, our church leadership teams can look at a face, put, attach it to a name or a set of names so that we can know you. We know that names are, are incredibly valuable and important, and we'd love to get to know yours. So if you feel like it's time to be known here, if you've been coming for a few weeks and you're like, yes, I want to be known here at Southfield, I, just want, I don't want to just be the, the last one in, first one out, uh, you can come up to this side of the stage. John Beaker will be down here um, along with a, a teammate of his, Julia, to take the the picture. Um, also, I'm going to mention this again later, but we will have someone up on the other side of the stage ready to pray with you this morning, uh, which is a great opportunity. If you have something that you need prayer for or something that's been on your heart for a while, it's a great option. Um, we have two financial classes that you can sign up for coming up in the near future, May 24th from 7 to 9 and June 2nd from 7 to 9. We know that people, we, we have a very generous group of people in this church. And some of you have inquired about how, how can I be more generous with my current financial state? I just don't know how, you know, budgeting and, and making sure that, I, that I'm giving everything that I can give, um, how I can make that a reality. Well, these classes are going to be great opportunities for that. Those links to register for that are in your update today. Um, so you can go ahead and, and sign up for that. It's really, really neat chances. And finally, I'm inviting up a friend of mine. Georgie. So, Georgie, would you come join me? See, Georgie is one of our many Majeri who are going to, um, going to Green Lake with us this year. And <clears throat> when we go to Green Lake, we know that our kids generally, I mean, they don't sleep. They stay up all night doing whatever they do. Um, they work all day. They play all day. So, so they're tired and they're hungry and they're weary. And so we're asking for your help. 
We're asking for your help in terms of food donations. And Georgie, she's very passionate about this. This list was not specifically designed by Georgie. If I said that, it would be a lie. But we did, we did consult some students. And Georgie, is this, is this an acceptable list? Looking at it? So far. <laughs> if she adds things, I'll make sure you know what she added. So if she says gushers, they're not on there. But Georgie, would you tell us the things that we're looking for? Uh, Capri Suns, large boxes of cereal, fruit snacks, instant oatmeal packets, kind bars, and granola bars. So how much of that do you think you'll eat? Like if we have 20 boxes of Capri Suns, how many do you think you'll drink? All 20. <laughs> All 20 boxes? <laughs> oh my goodness. All right, so we need at least 21 boxes of Capri Suns. <laughs> Thank you, Georgie. I appreciate it. <laughs> If you have a food donation for us or a drink donation for us, please do not deliver it straight to Georgie. As you can see, she will consume it on the spot. Instead, you can go to the Info Hub and they will, uh, they'll take it from you there and we're gonna place it straight into the coffee prep room. Okay, I hope that I've accomplished the task of getting all the announcements done. We're moving on whether I did or not. <clears throat> all right, yesterday, I was in Champaign, Illinois, uh, my, in the home of my alma mater, the University of Illinois. And this medal that I'm wearing, it's pretty cool, it spins. Uh, this medal that I'm wearing is something that I earned thanks to finishing a, a long race, a long race known as a half marathon. You know that you're old when not only do you start to enjoy running, but you'll pay to put yourself through the misery of running long distances with other people. But running is great. Part of the reason I love doing these races is for the community. All throughout this, this course, you have random strangers walking out into their street for hours on end, clapping and cheering and holding signs. And there were so many different signs where people, they're holding them out and there's like a target and it would say, push here for energy. And you'd come along and instead of the high five, you bam, yeah, you got it. Push here for a speed boost, woo! And then you'd watch as people, they hit that and then pew, take off. <laughs> so it worked, clearly it worked. I wanna give you perspective as to what these race distances are. So I got Batman down there to help me. Uh, but we, five, a 5K, if you've heard of these races, a 5K, because they're on the metric system, I don't know why we can't just call it a, a 3.1 race, but whatever. We're on the metric system for all these races and a 5K is 3.1 miles. A 10K is obviously two times that, 6.2 miles. The half marathon, which I did yesterday, is 13.1 miles. The marathon is two times that. You're kind of getting the trend, right? We just double every time we go, 26.2 miles. And then you have the ultra marathons and all the, the extended races like that. And that is anywhere from 31 to beyond. I mean, there's, there's 100 milers, and for that, I don't know what else to call you but sick in the head, okay? <laughs> If you're doing one of those, you should seek help. Um, but what I love about running, again, that community, as soon as I finish, I cross the finish line, I sit down, I stretch, and every single person, everyone, whether they have just run or they're only there to support, um, support the people running, everyone is in a good mood. Ah, it's done, we did it, high fives galore. Everybody's smiling and cheering and yeah, we did it. When you, get, when you get done, they even give you one of these nice, 
uh, foil blankets to keep you warm. And it was raining at the end of the race yesterday. So it was kind of nice, you know, just sitting there. And ev everybody that you see with one of these, you're like, yeah, you did it. You did it. Congratulations. You made it through your race. And it's really exciting. Yesterday, I noticed that every single person I ran into, I mean every person, said congratulations. Hey, that's a great accomplishment. The half marathon. Wow. That's awesome. Good job. Here's the problem. While I made it to the starting line, and I started running, I did not finish the race. You see, this race was supposed to happen back in 2020, and they canceled it, and then they said, we'll do it in the fall. Well, then COVID got extended, and they canceled it in the fall. They said, all right, we'll just push it to spring of 2021. They canceled that. And they said, we'll do it in spring of 2022. And back in spring of 2021, I was like, ah, oh, okay, well, I've already paid for this, so I know that I'll run it. The thing is, your training that you do before the race in 2020 would not have translated to the race in 2021. <laughs> and it sure as heck doesn't transfer to the race that happened in 2022. So the race starts, everybody's cheering. As I'm saying, like I, it's so happy, it's a joyous event. And I got to mile four, and I turned to my wife, who I was running alongside, and I said, I, I just beat red in the face, and there are pictures to prove it online that I will not show you. I turn to my wife, and I say, go get it. <laughs> Basically telling her, you don't have to stay with me. I'm going to hold you back. And my pace slowed, and it slowed, and it slowed. And I actually passed. They changed the route, and we passed the place where usually the 10-mile mark is. It's right by the house that I lived in when I was in Champaign. So I'm looking at the house, and I'm just, you know, I'm at a trudge at this point. I'm dying, okay? I'm only about five miles in. And as I turn to look at the house, there is a new pothole in the road. Well, when you're not looking at the road, and you step in said pothole and roll your ankle, pain ensues, normally. But this time, I took three steps, and I'm like, hey, I still got it. And because of that, I was actually energized. So I start taking off. I'm like, all right, you know what? We can do this. And then a half mile later, I was like, oh, no, we can't do this. So we get to the end. We get to the end of the, the tent, or the, I'm sorry, we get to the halfway point. If you are continuing in the race for the half marathon, you go straight. If you are finishing the 10K race, because they run both at the same time, you veer off to the right and you enter Memorial Stadium, running onto the football field, sprinting for your life like you're running for a touchdown if you are an opponent of the Illinois Fighting Illini. I did not continue. I said, I need to make a business decision, and we are turning right. So, this is stolen valor. <clears throat> this is my wife's medal, because she finished. She did very well, and I'm very proud of her. <clears throat> but the problem is, the running community, so supportive, did not pick up on Brian's facial expressions. You see, I was wearing the half marathon bib. And when I finished at the 10K, I was ahead of the elite runners who were finishing the half marathon, okay? I didn't win the race. And people are looking and saying, did you, you're already done with the half? No, 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 I didn't. But everyone's still high-fiving, congratulations, you did it, you did it, wow, 
where I am just in this state of honest misery. I am so disappointed in myself. I realized that I hadn't done what I needed to do to succeed in this race, and I was disappointed. I was heartbroken. The rest of the day, you can ask Riley, the rest of the day, I sulked. I pouted. I was mad at myself. Not because I didn't do, I knew that I wasn't going to get my personal best. There were no dreams of that. But I've never quit a race. Not one time. And for me, it was kind of a, a perspective moment. You see, I had this sermon all written to talk about how I finished the race. We should go strong. And here I am, the day before I'm delivering this sermon, I quit halfway through. Well, I didn't totally change everything because that would be really hard. But I do want to talk about the idea of relentlessly pursuing God. The word relentless is not something that we use very often. In fact, when I hear the word relentless, it's, it's usually tied to like the weather. You know, this rain is just relentless. It won't give up. This, Aaron Rodgers is just relentless today. How does he have seven touchdowns and it's only halftime? Okay? We use relentless in a negative context many times. But if we're to truly get the definition, it means someone who is unstoppable, energized, enduring, never giving up, and always on. It's basically the Rudy of words. Okay? Today we aren't talking about being relentless runners. We're not talking about being relentless football players or actors. Instead, we're going to be answering that question that I brought up. How can we relentlessly pursue Christ? How can we be unstoppable, energized, enduring, never giving up, and always on in our pursuit of Jesus? Before we get to where we pursue, we must first understand something very important. Before we ever even were able to gather the concept of pursuing God, God pursued us. He pursued us. And I want to start with the conversation that Jesus has with some religious leaders in Luke chapter 15. Then Jesus told them this parable. Someone, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is an incredible storyteller, and this is, for most of us, not a brand new story, nothing revelational about me bringing this up today. But when Jesus walked this earth, we have to understand, shepherds, they lived outside of town. They lived with their sheep, and in Jesus' story, he's talking about this shepherd who has a hundred sheep. This is a, a good-sized flock. The shepherd would, day by day, move the sheep, making sure that they had food to eat, water to drink, and going place to place. He'd even protect the sheep by stepping in the way of vicious animals who were coming to attack. At the end of the day, he'd bring them into a, a fenced-in area, and usually it would be a stone fenced-in area. So these big boulders we built up in either a rectangle or a circle, and he'd get all the sheep into the pen, and then the shepherd would sleep at the gate so nothing could get in or out. And you can imagine this shepherd counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. If he gets to 99, he has to think, uh-oh, 
I must have miscounted. So he recounts. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ninety-nine. Now the alarm bells sound in his brain. Something is gone, something has gone wrong. And you might think, well, what's the big deal? It's one stupid sheep. But for the shepherd, every sheep was precious. So the shepherd leaves the 99 in the pen to pursue the one. And this isn't like crossing the street to, to go pick up a pet. When Griffey gets out, he just goes to the neighbor's house, and it's not a, a very long pursuit. I just whistle, and he comes right back. No, in this case, the shepherd and the sheep are probably in the middle of nowhere. So that sheep leaves right there. You don't know which direction he's gone. You don't know how far he's, or what danger he's in, how far he is. It's bad. And remember, too, that the sheep is not looking to come home. Sheep are dumb. So he's just wandering, trotting, going, probably looking for food or water on his own. The shepherd didn't give up on that dumb sheep. He was relentless in his pursuit, not letting anything get in the way of finding that lost sheep. When he found it, he wasn't going to take any chances of it getting lost again. This isn't like having a dog you know, walk alongside you. Nope, here we go. Picks it up, puts it over his shoulders, and, I mean, you can imagine the struggle of getting a sheep on your shoulders. Walks it back, puts it back in the pen. Jesus immediately follows this story with another. Suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together to say, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin! In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Imagine that news headline, lady loses coin. Nobody's reading that story. Boring, right? Nobody cares. No big deal, right? I see kids. I mean, this is just, that drives me nuts. They'll throw change out into the parking lot. Like, I'm talking quarters, dimes. Good change. They'll throw it. This stuff is gross. They throw it out like it contains the plague. But what? If it was a 1913 Liberty Head V nickel. Anybody know how much this is worth? I mean, to us, a nickel is five cents. But currently, this extremely rare, valuable coin is valued at five million dollars. That coin right there. Five million bucks if you have one of those. Check your change today, okay? <laughs> You lose that coin, you better believe you're scrambling to find it. You're not throwing that out like it's nothing. Now, the coin that the woman lost was not worth anything close to that. But we do know that by losing the coin, she's lost 10% of what she has. She has 10 coins, she loses one, 10%, gone. An important background fact to this story is that when women during that time got married, they'd often be given a necklace with 10 of these coins. So it's very likely that this that the ten coins were a part of this necklace. Each coin, a drachma, is worth about a day's wage. And the coins were often, again, worn in this necklace that represented not only the fact that she's married um, and taken, but it, if I'm oversimplifying it, it essentially worked as a wedding ring. The coins were considered very valuable for three reasons. One, the monetary value. Two, sentimental value, because it represented her marriage. And three, beauty. If you lose one coin off that necklace, it's not worthless, but people are going to notice. People are going to look and say, oh, something's not right here. Can you imagine working all day long? Remember when you got physical paychecks? Okay, you work all day long or all week long, and they give you that paycheck, and you get into your car, and you go to the bank, and you're like, I'm ready to cash it. Oh, no, it's gone. Imagine losing your paycheck. 
I mean, I freak out when I lose my phone or when I roll over on the couch and the TV remote has decided to grow legs and run away. We scramble to find those things. And it's particularly true if you knew that you just had it. This woman would have just had the coin. In biblical times, we've got dusty floored homes. We're not talking carpet or, or um, a tile or anything like that. So she could have looked around. She could have done a quick scan and moved on because, well, the coin is just gone. But no, she didn't look quickly and give up like my wife so often accuses me of doing. The coin is too valuable just to forget about it. So she was relentless in her pursuit of finding the coin. She would have candles on. She's probably sweeping the house. And if we're to put a modern image to it, this is probably similar to the, the scrambled look that she would have been having for the coin. And when she finds it, she celebrates with her friends. So what does that have to do with God relentlessly pursuing you? The point is that God pursues us much like the shepherd pursued the sheep and the woman pursued the coin. He's never given up on you. You are too valuable to God to just give up on. Don't believe me? I've got one more story. This one's from Mark chapter 5, and it's a longer one, so settle in. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been often chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. He begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a hill by, or hillside nearby. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank of the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus... They saw, a man who had been, or they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well. The people began to plead with Jesus to just leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let that happen, but stead and said, go home to your own people Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell, the, to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. In this story, Jesus was able to heal a demon-possessed man. The townspeople had given up on him. Everybody, go live in the tombs. Go live amongst the dead because the person you are, the person you have become, is basically dead. But Jesus... He does something very special for this one man. He crosses a lake. This is a big lake, okay? Green Lake is big, but this lake is about twice the size. It's 13 miles long and 8 miles wide. Remember, they're not sitting in motorized boats, okay? They have to row across the lake. They use oars and paddles. And if you look at the verses before this, 
the disciples and Jesus actually experienced a life-threatening storm that freaked these experienced fishermen, many of them, freaked them out. So Jesus was willing to cross not just a big lake and do a lot of work to get there, but also a dangerous lake. Why did he cross? To pursue this one man. He healed the man and went back across the lake. So Jesus' reason, his entire reason to cross the lake was to heal this one man. Everyone else had given up on him. Everyone else had kicked him out of the town. Everyone else tried to restrain him, and yet Jesus relentlessly pursued him anyway. What did it cost for his freedom, for the, for the demon-possessed man's freedom? About 2,000 pigs. And you might say, so what? It's just pigs. First of all, how dare you? That's a lot of bacon. <clears throat> Second, I researched the current pig market. I'm not looking to get involved. But um, the best estimate I could find uh, shows that to buy and raise one pig, not including like the you know, fencing and all that, is about $600. Now, let's expand that out to 2000 bulk pricing, Sam's Club, Costco, I'm sure you can get them, at $400, okay? So let's just, let's simplify it down. $400 per pig, 2,000 pigs, we're talking $800,000 worth of pigs. That's a lot of bacon. And Jesus sends them right into the water to be drowned. According to Jesus, the freedom of one man was worth it. Jesus relentlessly pursued this man at all costs to bring healing. And I want you to understand that he relentlessly pursues you as well. Just like the man, we have a problem that only one can fix. Maybe we aren't possessed by demons, but I think it's something worse. We're possessed by sin, as we'll learn in the Romans Road in Romans chapter 3. And the result is our ultimate death, Romans chapter 6. But Jesus chose to relentlessly pursue, this, pursue us to bring healing to our lives. Luke 19.10 says that he came to seek us, to rescue us. To what extremes has Jesus gone through to pursue you? He didn't cross a dangerous lake. He left the greatest place ever, heaven, and all that came with it to walk this earth so that he could pursue you. Pursuing you didn't cost the lives of 2,000 pigs. No, it cost Jesus himself, his life. Someone had to pay the penalty for your sins. And Jesus did it. Why? Because you are worth it. Without Jesus, you're still bound by your sins and living among the dead, like the demon-possessed man. If you stop running, surrender to Jesus, like this man did, he'll take you from amongst the dead to the living. John 10.10, 10, a verse that we've been studying at Refuge, tells us that Jesus came to give you life and that he wants it for everyone. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, and as some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you. Where I want to flip off at students who don't listen to me, or you know, you might be a parent and Kids just doing something directly the opposite of what you're saying. Jesus is patient. He's patient. He patiently pursues you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So maybe like this man, everybody's given up on you, or at least you feel that way. Not Jesus. To him, you're worth dying for. Maybe you're bound by some addiction, whether, um, whether it's physical or mental or whatever. Jesus wants to give you freedom. So when we look at the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin, there's celebration when it was found. Right now, heaven's waiting to celebrate. Heaven is waiting for you to come home. It's waiting for you to stop wandering and surrender to the one who relentlessly loves you. Relentless 
unstoppable, energized, enduring, never give up, always on. Imagine that. That's how he relentlessly pursues you. Once, we've, once we have surrendered to him, now we can look at um, how we can pursue him. Once we've given our lives over to the one who relentlessly pursues us, now we can flip the script and pursue him. Psalm 63, 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David, the author of this psalm, first acknowledges that he's a follower of God. Most of you maybe are at that point. I made a commitment to Christ when I was eight years old. And for some of you, it might have come during the rooted experience. But David declared that Jehovah God is his God. This isn't some random, far-off God that he can't have a relationship. No, it's personal. When you seek after something, you passionately pursue it. You put your whole heart into it and do whatever is necessary to help you get what you're looking for. Because Jehovah God was David's God, he relentlessly pursued him. And we should be able to say the same thing about ourselves. Often, when it comes to seeking after God, we do it half-heartedly. We don't go full Rudy. We often just go through the motions. If we're, if we're just going through the motions, we're missing out on the real experience of knowing and loving and pursuing God. In Psalm 63, we see David pursuing God. Why? Because he is my God. Whatever's most important in your life is always worth pursuing. That's really the definition of what God means. God means a person or thing of supreme value. So is God really your God? Is he what's most valuable in your life? Because if he is, then naturally you should be relentlessly pursuing him. If something else is God in your life, you're going to pursue that. David compares this, uh, this pursuit to thirsting for water where there is no water. If I offered you a million dollars or a bottle of water, which one would you choose? Here, right here this morning. Million dollars or a bottle of water. Can I get a show of hands? Who would choose the million dollars? You can buy a lot of water with a million dollars, okay? But let's pretend we're out in the middle of the desert. You haven't had water for three days, and I'm, not, I'm no scientist. I don't, maybe you're already dead. But you're on the verge of death. Now, you don't have water. There's no one in sight. There's no place to go buy water. Which one are we choosing? Of course, we'll choose the water. We don't want to die. That is what David wants us to picture when he says, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Just as earnestly as you would seek after water in life, or to preserve life, we should relentlessly pursue him. Psalm 42 says it this way, As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O God. If you look at the Brian Papp version, as Griffey pants for the water of the bowl, so my soul pants for you, my God. Now, there is the note, please do not practice sacrilege. That's not a real version, and I'm not planning on writing one. I just had to bring him up because it's his birthday today. <laughs> so Griffey, when he gets done with a run or gets done playing outside, <laughs> I mean, he's desperate need for water. And then when he attacks that bowl, it's like, I don't even know how he's consuming anything because it's splashing everywhere and he's just going nuts, Okay. That's how we should relentlessly pursue God. Notice that the statement, my God, is in this passage too because God is David's God. He pants for God. Pant means to long for or to desire. A deer is going to relentlessly pursue water. It's going to continuously run, jump over fences, go through forests, run in front of semis until it finds water because its life depends on it. So just as the deer will do anything it can to find water, someone who relentlessly pursues God is going to do 
the next to impossible to connect with God. They realize that God is the one and only true fulfillment. Any of you guys in the front row thirsty? You guys are thirsty? Okay. Well, luckily for you, I have the solution. Here. Would you take this? Ready? Just toss them out. You thirsty, Andy? Thirsty? Thirsty? Who's thirsty? You guys thirsty? Toss it back there. Oh, good catch. Wow. That's awesome. Long cracker tosses this morning. Oh, another one. Okay. Well, not going to win the Olympics in the cracker toss. Okay, go ahead and eat those. Eat those up. Delicious, delicious crackers. Those crackers will solve your thirst. I promise. Andy's already doubting me. She's noticing that her saliva is drying up and that now she actually is thirsty, even if she wasn't being truthful before. <clears throat> I actually, I don't have any crackers. I gave them all out. So instead, I'm just going to have a sip of this water. Mm. That's really good. Now, this isn't a, a Coke commercial. You know, I'm not Nick Saban doing a press conference, but I think this Coke looks pretty good, too. Let's check that out. Yep, just right. Just right. I love it. Beautiful. How you guys doing? You still, you still thirsty? Are you more thirsty than you were before? Well, I, I have to tell you that when you try and quench your thirst with anything that doesn't quench thirst, your thirst will not be quenched. This is a simple fact. This is a simple matter. When you seek to find fulfillment in something that is not God, when you try and quench your spiritual thirst with something that can't, you're going to fail. You need to ask yourself, is God really the God of your life? Do you relentlessly pursue him? Because if you're not doing these two things that I'm going to talk about. There, there are many different ways that you can pursue, pursue God. But if you're not doing these two things, I promise you, you're already off on the wrong, uh, wrong foot. So how can we relentlessly pursue God? First is through worship. Worship, in its truest definition, means to honor something as God putting it above all else. To worship means to love, adore, respect, admire, and be crazy. To be crazy for, to be passionate about, idolize, glorify, exalt, honor, be devoted to, extremely fond of the object of your worship. Okay? We care about these things. And we're to be these things about God. So, how do we worship? Psalm 105. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make, it, make his name known among the nations, the things that he's done. When talking about God, there is no comparison. There's nothing else that can quench that spiritual thirst. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything you do should be relentlessly praising God. You can do that on the ball field. You can do that at work. You can do that at school. You can do that at lunch at Portillo's. Whatever you do, you can praise God in everything. We can also pursue him by being Christ-like. Now, there are many different elements of being Christ-like, but I'm going to talk to you about three. First, what did Jesus do? He spent time alone with God. In Mark chapter 1, we read that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, and he prayed. He went to be alone. Those rhythms that we learned about and started building during Rooted, don't let it go. Find that time to be alone with God, because if you don't, then the world will fill your days. The world will fill your days with something that can't quench your thirst, as our very thirsty people are looking here up front. Second, Jesus prayed. As I just read, what did he do when he went off to be alone with God? He literally spoke to him. He talked to him. We find with this passage, as many others, 
that Jesus would pursue God in prayer. Jeremiah 33, call to me and I will answer you and tell you the great and unsearchable things that you do not already know. Prayer is simply calling God, much like you'd call a friend. Just talk to him. It isn't just giving God a list of the things that you want to do. That You wouldn't do that to a friend. No. It's having that daily conversation. So, do you pray? Did Rooted change your prayer experience or prayer, your prayer life? And if so, are your prayers a relentless pursuit of God? Or are they a wish list? Don't let your prayers be meaningless. Finally, Jesus read and studied God's word. Now, the Bible as we know it was not compiled during, during Jesus' time. And much of it's written after, because we know that he died, was resurrected, and was in heaven um, in the New Testament. So clearly he wasn't uh, present when a lot of this was, was being compiled. But that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't know the word. And what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is the word. And yet he still studied it relentlessly. Being relentless means more than just reading a verse a day. This is awesome, okay? I love it, this um, experience that we get to do with the Romans Road bracelets. But if that's all you do, then you'll know one story from the Bible. There's over 31,000 verses in the Bible, and if you were to take one verse per day and just say, that's good enough, it's going to take you, uh, it's going to take you over 86 years to complete. That's not relentless pursuit. That's incredible consistency. But it's not (laughs) relentless pursuit, Jesus didn't skim through the Bible. He knew it. He references the Old Testament 84 times and 20 se- in, from 27 different books. He pursued God, even though he was God. I want to end by reading from Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur on one another to, toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, this isn't just for you. This relentless pursuit, the things that you do to put God at the, the paramount of your life, at the apex of everything you do, at the focus of every single action, word, thought, we're supposed to be pushing each other to do the same. So we're going to have an opportunity to do that here through, um, through communion. First, Communion is an act of worship. You are coming before God and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Thank you for dying for me. The sacrifice represented by the body and the blood, the cracker and the juice, that sacrifice that's represented there could not have been accomplished by anyone in this room. It couldn't be accomplished by any one of the great theologians of our time or, or in the past. Not even Billy Graham. Not, no one, no one could take the place of Jesus. So honoring that sacrifice is a form of worship. After we finish communion, we're going to have an opportunity to sing. Literal praise through singing. I'm going to encourage you, don't let what other people might think hold you back from worshiping with all your heart. God doesn't care if you have a great voice or not. He made your voice. He knows if it's beautiful, if it's scratchy, or if it sounds like cats dying. That's me. He doesn't care. Worship him with everything that you've got. Maybe you need to spend time in the word. Find ways to do that. Find guides to help you that will spurn you on to continue getting to know the word, whatever method 
it may be. Maybe you need to re-up that prayer life. Rooted, ended, that was all good, and, and now since then you haven't continued those rhythms. Get back into it. Spend this time during communion, praying, thinking, worshiping, praising, relentlessly. So there are several stations around the room. We have one on either side of the stage, a couple in the back. There's gluten-free on the platform and one in the back by the camera. While you are going to communion, we're going to be listening to a song by a Scottish artist. Okay, this guy's awesome. His name is Steph, Steph McLeod. But again, Scottish, so Steph McLeod. He sings this song that he wrote called No Other God. Steph, his life story, we're not going to get into it all, but there was a family breakdown that led to a drug addiction that led to him living on the street and him getting taken in by a Christian resource center. Through there, he found recovery. He didn't find recovery because the people there are really good at their job. He found recovery because Jesus relentlessly pursued him. He didn't give up on Steph. And so this song is inspired by Isaiah 61.10. You'll, you'll hear it in the lyrics. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. God will relentlessly pursue you. If you have gotten to that point of finally being willing to be picked up and carried back, if you have surrendered to God, now is time to flip the script. Relentlessly pursue Him in everything you do. Take the time to consider how can you keep going when the temptation to quit the race at the 10K is staring you in the face? Man, I love when God works because, I mean, I, clearly we didn't talk uh, before, you know, music's planned and whatever. What's the first words of that? Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I what? Run. <laughs> Let the fountain I drink from, or I'm sorry, the fountain, that I, the fountain that I drink from, oh, he is my song. Is he? Is he your song? If he is, if he is truly the king of your heart, then relentlessly pursue him. Put those shoes on. Start running the race, and when you see the 10K turn off, just say, God, protect me from blisters and keep going. <clears throat> so whatever it is, whether it's picking up, whatever your next step is, picking up the Romans Road bracelets, uh, finding an, an option to continue after that rooted experience, stepping out and be, being known down here with John and Julia, or coming and asking for prayer, whatever it is, talk about it. Open up. Talk to your family. Talk to your friends. Talk to your coworkers and relentlessly pursue God. Have a great Sunday.